Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Alex McFarland. Are you an engaged Christian? Are you really living your life to the fullest in terms of impact for Christ? Hi, welcome to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here. We have a great show tonight, and we're going to talk about being engaged and what are the areas in which we should be engaged. And we've got a great guest that I'll introduce in a moment. A lot going on. Everybody's talking about the uh, the Iowa caucus and uh, President Trump's uh carrying the majority of the votes in that. We'll, we'll get there. But I want to begin with a scripture from 1 Chronicles chapter 5 and talk about the fact that, look, we're in a culture where there's a lot of uh, static and a lot of noise about spiritual issues, moral issues, economic issues. And it, it does remind me very much of the battles that Israel had to fight in the Old Testament. Now, let me read a scripture and then I'll bring our guest out. In First uh, Chronicles 5.22, speaking of Israel, remember for over four centuries, they were entering the land that God had promised to them. And the Canaanites, the Philistines, uh, and one group called the, the Hagarites, they, they were often having to fight for their very survival. And it says in First Chronicles 5.22, there fell down many slain because the war was of God. The war was God's. Now, the word of is a preposition. The, the battle was God's. That's a prepositional phrase. Now, what does this mean? Whether it be truth, whether it be for the gospel, whether it be for morals, marriage, gender, freedom of religious expression. What about economics? Uh, there is God's word and God's truth, biblical worldview. And then there is man's ideas. But you know what? If you go back to 1 Chronicles 5.20, speaking of Israel, says they were helped against them and the Hagarites were delivered into their hand and all that were with them. Now, listen, for they cried out to God in the battle. He heeded their prayer because they put their trust in him. The King James, the KJV says that Israel cried out to God in the battle and he was entreated of them. I like that wording. God was merciful. The heart of God is for his people because they put their trust in him. Be encouraged today. And we're going to talk about biblical worldview and we're going to meet a guest just now that's being used by God to help people understand God's perspective. Ben Quine is the director of curriculum and strategic ministry partnerships for a very wonderful organization, Christians Engaged. He, he helped produce a uh, a resource called Biblical Justice Answers for Difficult Days with Bunny Pounds on radio and on this show. We've had Bunny Pounds on before. And uh, Difficult Days, Biblical Answers. And we're going to talk about a lot of these things. But he has created K-12 Worldview Curriculum 
and courses on history. And so I want to say, uh, Ben, thanks for being with us. Ben Quine, welcome to the program. And the website is christiansengaged.org. But I appreciate you making time to be with us tonight on Truth and Liberty. Thank you, Alex. I'm just thrilled to be here. Grateful for having you having me. Well, you know, uh, would you say that a, a lot of the what the church is going through and the battle for worldview and frankly, not only Christian freedom, but just the future of America, in some ways it is analogous to the battles that Israel had to go through in the old days. Uh, history has been uh, always been about the, the struggle of darkness versus light. Uh, error versus truth, the people of God versus the forces of this world. Um, if you're a Christian, you're in a battle for truth, aren't you? No doubt about it. In fact, the battle for truth is probably the central battle of our time because all the other issues really, you know, uh, flesh out, flood out from that that one issue. If you look at what Romans 15 says, Paul says everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through encouragement, endurance, we might have hope to, to live the right way. So you're exactly right. We're looking back on Israel. We're looking back and saying, what can we learn from these stories? I love what Proverbs 14 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You know, and, and, and like you said, it doesn't matter what issue we're talking about. It might be um, marriage, it might be um, uh, justice or sanctity of life or gender or marriage, uh, racism, welfare, charity, any issue we look at. Um, in 2023, 2024 now, we have ways that seem right to our culture and they're bringing death. And if we don't do what uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, which is take every thought captive to obey Christ, then we're going to be we're going to suffer as as a culture and as individuals for not following uh, God's word and His principles. You know, you mentioned Proverbs uh, fourteen, and I love verse thirty four of Proverbs fourteen. Righteousness exalts a nation, but yes. sin is a reproach to any people. Uh, righteousness elevates, blesses. Um, you know, Ben, I, I've loved to read about um, how Christianity, wherever it's gone, has re resulted in the betterment of the human condition. Um, perhaps you knew of the uh, twice Pulitzer nominated historian and sociologist, Dr. Rodney Stark, who for many years he lived in Texas. He went to be with the Lord about a year and a half ago. But he wrote about Look, wherever Christianity has gone and the biblical worldview, you've got literacy, you've got hospitals, even things like human hygiene and families and marriages, and righteousness does exalt any yes. culture where it's lived out. Now, tell us about what you're doing with Christians Engage, because I know you, you understand and you and I agree on these things. So what is Christians Engaged and what are the goals that your organization uh, aspires to. Absolutely. So we're a nationwide ministry based in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, founded in 2019 by Bunny Pounds. And really, she had been working in, in government for many, many years, um, serving as a, um, a campaign manager and, and an aide to various congressmen and running um, some campaigns and really involved in tr and, and ser serving with, with, um, with really intention of bringing the light of the gospel into D.C. and into our state houses. And the Lord really put on her heart to, um, to start this ministry to disciple Christians 
to help them develop habits of prayer, voting, and engagement. So those are our three kind of core values, pray, vote, and engage. And that's what we do. We help Christians um, pray for our nation. We know that nothing can happen uh, for, for our country for good unless we have it bathed in prayer. And we need, we need God's mercy right now more than ever. Oh, we my need goodness. Him to act and revival, and we need revival. So prayer is the starting place. And then the next thing is the Christians, we should vote. We need to get involved uh, in our civic government, voting for godly leaders like Exodus 18.21 talks about, choosing leaders that are going to represent us well and have biblical values. And then we need to get engaged. And that can look different ways for different people. Sometimes that's, you know, having a conversation with your neighbors. Sometimes it's, you know, taking one of our, our classes or doing a, a Bible study on justice or economics. And sometimes that's running for city council or, uh, or another office. But God wants us all to be salt and light. And that's what we're trying to do. Christians Engage, help people do that, give them the tools to do that. And we've got lots of resources on our website, blogs, articles, books, and online video courses, and just to name a few. Uh, folks, if you're just tuning in, this is Alex McFarland, Truth and Liberty. We're talking with Ben Quine of Christians Engaged. We've got a great show. And in a, in a little while, we're going to take phone calls. The number, by the way, you might want to jot this number down. It's 719-619-2341. Now, what I'm going to do, Ben, I'm going to give you a quote that was in the news December 2nd of 2023. Uh, I want to talk about economics because I know you've you've done a lot and Christians Engaged is doing a lot to help help believers understand biblical economics. But um, when you talk about pray, vote, engage, yes. I'm with you. Um, December 2nd, James Carville. Uh, and <laughs> James Carville, the Democrat strategist, he was on with Bill Maher and... Uh, he said, and he was talking about Speaker of the House Mike Johnson, who is a Christian. But um, they kept, it, it surprised me how James Carville and Bill Maher, uh, now nobody would ever accuse either of those guys of being objective and balanced. They're, they're both, you know, uh, liberal, very woke, although Bill Maher is, you know, raised some red flags about wokeness. And they kept referring to Christians as, quote, those people those people. But right. James Carville, and folks, it's on YouTube, you can see it. He said that Christians are more dangerous to America than Al-Qaeda. Did you catch that, that quote? Do you remember that night? Right. Well, the, and, the point is that, go ahead. Yeah. And, and I think about this, how we know that America was founded on biblical principles. And if the Christians of today are, are a bigger threat to the USA than Al-Qaeda, than terrorism, well, then that, that would include George Washington and James right. Madison and some of our most venerated leaders. Uh, the left is just lumping them into this, this group of as being subversive and dangerous. How do you respond to, to a, just a, a blanket um, demonization like that? Well, I think it goes back to what you said earlier and that, you know, this represents two distinct visions for America. And the one vision, the woke vision, really is um, in so many ways in conflict with or incongruous with the biblical, biblical vision. You know, um, the biblical values in terms of marriage and gender, for instance, as, a, as an obvious one, really are very incompatible with most of the ideals and um, 
you know, stated goals of, of, of the woke movement. And so that's, I think that's why they look on it with such um, antagonism. Because yeah. as Christians, if we if we do get engaged, it's going to mean standing up to a lot of the popular ideas in this culture and a lot of the um, uh, a lot of the directions we've been moving over the last several years. Yeah, and and, and it's like the left has contempt, you, you know, for all, all as Christians, you know, we believe God exists, that God has revealed Himself through Scripture and through Jesus mm. Christ and that um, there are moral boundaries. And just like the Proverbs 14.34, it's in our best interest to live by God's truth rather than fight against it. Um, Why why the vitriol, why the contempt uh, the left has for really the bedrock beliefs that built our wonderful nation? Right. Well, I'm not sure I would... um... I don't want to put words in anyone else's mouth or say this is, you know, for that particular person. But it does remind me that Jesus said, you know, um, that if the world loved me, it'll love you. If the world hated me, it's going to hate you. And I think that that this is not anything new for Christians. It's not new for um, societies um, to have antagonism, to persecute Christians. You know, this has been going on since the early church. And... um, that's because the children of the light and the children of, of darkness really are, um, you know, going different directions. And we don't belong to this world. He said, we're aliens and strangers in this world, is what Peter said. Now, that doesn't mean we don't try to impact this, that we're, we're dual citizens, right? We have citizenship in America or citizenship wherever we're blessed to live, and we're citizens of heaven. So we're, we're going to be serving the kingdom of God as we move towards that heavenly home. And, um, and Jesus tells us we, we should not be surprised when that happens. Mm-hmm. He says, rejoice and be glad when people say all manner of evil against you when they persecute you, because that's how they persecuted, that's how they treated the prophets, that's how they treated the apostles, and that's how they're treating Christians today. Mm. You, you've written a lot about biblical economics. Uh, I, I think it might be a surprise to people and even to some believers that there, there is a lot that God's Word has to say about money. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that, shall we? I would love to. You know, uh, this is an area that's very dear to my heart because I feel like economics is one of the most practical and powerful ways we can really love our neighbors. You know, it's it's very, especially if you talk about the general and the systems of economics, because um, on a on a practical level, we can we can reach out and have conversations with our next door neighbors or people in our community. But when we adopt uh, an economic system, whether that's a, a good, positive, uh, holy, righteous economic system, or that's an evil economic system, we are then impacting every person in our culture for good or evil, mm-hmm. and. Um, I want everyone to understand that economics, you know, we might, I'm sure when you hear that, you have instantly thoughts come to your mind, you know, economics, maybe we think about that boring high school class that you had, Mm. put you to sleep, or, you know, maybe some dry academic study. Um, You think maybe, oh, that's for super smart people, but that's not what the Bible uh, talks about. The Bible's teaching is so practical. It's so down to earth. It's so real life. And it really does uh, bless people when we implement his, uh, God's principles. Um, so even bigger than just money, economics is the study of uh, how individuals and society as a whole handle money, businesses, resources, and wealth. So 
it's, it's broader than just how should I take care of my money? Um, mm. and, and like I said, if, if we're going to have a healthy society, if we're going to truly love our neighbors, it's really vital that we adopt biblical principles in this area. And that's what we do in our, in our, in our class, uh, the Biblical Economics class for Christians Engaged, uh, dig deeply into Scripture to see those principles. Um, I, I'd love to start with the Proverbs chapter 31, um, wife of noble character, or some people call her the Proverbs 31 woman. Amen. It's, it's just an amazing little passage. And, you know, if you think about the book of Proverbs being kind of the, um, the wisdom book for the Bible, yes. and, and then this is the climax, comes right at the end, and it's a kind of a personification. What does wisdom look like when it's lived out? And um, if you don't mind, I'll just read for a second. It says, sure. an excellent wife who can find. Amen. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Mm -hmm. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them she delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Mm. She, wow. opens her mouth with, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. And closes by saying, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Amen. So I just love this passage because, you know, of course there's a lot of spiritual meaning and symbolism here, but just looking practically at what it says, there's so much really uh, rubber meets the road, day-to-day -day actions. I mean, this lady was so wise. She was bold. She started businesses. She's like the ultimate entrepreneur. Uh, mm -hmm. She's utilizing technology and machines to increase her productivity. Talks about how she earns profit and then uses that profit to invest and start other businesses. She's staying up late and monitoring the health of her business, takes the resources she's getting, and then invests to buy a field and plant a vineyard. I mean, she's, she's just a, a business machine, really. It's really incredible. Yeah. Um, and then not only that, but she's also so generous. She's, she's teaching those around her. She's caring for her servants. She's giving them food and, and providing for them. Uh, she's helping giving her neighbors and, and caring for her children, like all the ways that she's just giving, giving, giving um, at the same time as she's, you know, being productive, which is just, I think it's just incredible. And uh, what we see here, and we see it all throughout scripture, but I love this passage because it makes it so crystal clear, is that hard work private property, private investment, and individuals that voluntarily choose to care for the poor, like that's the way of wisdom. 
That's what Scripture is trying to teach us over and over and over again, and um, that's the way to prosperity for individuals. It's the way to prosperity for culture, and it's really the way to a life of fulfillment. You know, we see that when people aren't working, that makes us miserable. You know, if we don't have yeah. a have even some, you know. Uh, of course, a relationship with Christ is the only way to fill that real vacuum in our heart. But in terms of their day-to-day, man, I want a purpose in life. This is this is such a great role model for us. You, you know, uh, Ben, I got to tell you, reading this, I love this passage too. And I've been so blessed that I, I have a Proverbs 31 woman that's been my wife for 35 years. You know, as you were reading these words, Uh, It just stirred my heart. I think it's especially appropriate the week that we're doing this show. Verse 21, uh, she is not afraid of the snow for her household. You know, as you know, the whole nation is uh, facing, you know, sub-zero temperatures and record snowfalls in many parts of the country. But the Proverbs 31 woman made sure that her husband and kids had warm clothes to put on. But but you're right. And you know what? Such a blessing. And let me let me cue this up and I'm going to throw it to you as we're talking about biblical economics. The, The world has a finite pie mentality. You know, it, yes. um, and, and I've spoken, I give God the glory, but at 200 universities, easily half of those were secular colleges. And there is this mindset that, you know, if you and I have food on the table, conversely, on the other side of the world, somebody else is going hungry. And it's not like that, like Adam Smith in The Wealth of Nations. He said, there's this invisible hand. And others have said, a rising tide lifts all boats. The, right. the American... Uh, ideals of property ownership and you know you work but you get to keep what you earn and yes mm-hmm. there there is you know godly entrepreneurial women that um, they attend to their family but they also go out there and creatively create wealth you know I've got to say just that you know these um, 20 21 or two verses right here if people could take these to heart it would revolutionize our world, wouldn't it? That's right. Absolutely revolutionize the world. And like you said, this the biblical idea is that we are called to to create or to produce. And we're not ta- we're not talking about taking out of that limited pie, but as she creates this, she's planting this vineyard and turning, you know, it's like even when God created the world, it says, and the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the waters. And God came in and he brought order. He brought separation. And he said, okay, now let this area produce vegetation. Let this area yes. produce, you know, have be filled with livestock. And so that's kind of what we're called to do as image bearers and as stewards is to say, we're going to take this area that wasn't productive and we're going to bring order and creativity and, and make it productive. And um, that really does change the world. Yes. The, the American welfare state, um, m- many people trace it to LBJ and the Great Society program. Um, but the way that our nation is handling uh, money and welfare and subsidy checks, is that moral or immoral in your opinion, brother? Well, it's tragic because it, the system we have today unfortunately tends to trap people. And instead of lifting them out of poverty, uh, it tends to trap them in poverty. And um, you know, I don't think that would be what what anyone would want. Um, that's not that's not certainly not a biblical biblical goal. Certainly not biblical uh, you know outcome. So I think that that if we to 
the, to the extent that these policies that we have in our country today are, they're hindering people yeah. from following this model. And that's tragic. So what, what, what I want everyone to see is that there, even if you step back, so the first layer is, what is this woman doing? And that's, that's so important. We have to see that. But we step back one more layer. We say, what's happening in society that allows her to prosper? And there are three pillars that everyone has to understand biblically. So the first one is this idea of private property. Mm-hmm. If you don't have private property, the system falls apart, okay? Now, again, as a Christian, we might think, well, of course, of course, that's obvious, you know. Um, I mean, God says in the Ten Commandments, you shalt not, thou shalt not steal, you shall not steal. And of course, that means you shall not steal something that belongs to someone else, right? Or sure. you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Well, if you don't have private property, your neighbor can't have a house, you can't covet it. It's it's assumed, right? And that's but that's that's a foundational principle is that God believes in, and this, again, it's this idea of stewardship, that God is the owner of everything. He's entrusted to us private property, and we're supposed to use those uh, resources that he's gifted us with for his glory. Private property is the first one. The second one is this idea of economic freedom. And if you look at, again, look at this Proverbs 31 woman, you see it all throughout scripture. She's making so many decisions. She is deciding, you know, what to do to, to uh, she selects wool and flax. She's like, which materials do I want to use? And then she creates these garments. What designs, what patterns is she going to use? She sells them to the merchants. What price am I going to sell them for? Who am I going to sell them to? How many am I going to make? It talks about her look, staying up late and looking at her business and seeing that it's profitable. She's deciding, um, you know, how much she's going to work, which products she's or products she's going to focus on, which projects she's going to focus. I mean, on and on and on. These and, and listen to this, making. man. Yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, verse 13, she's into textiles, and right. you go over there to verse 16, she's into real estate. <laughs> exactly. And uh, the thing yeah. <laughs> is that if she makes wise decisions, she's prospering. But as she, if she were to choose foolishly, then she would, she would not prosper, right? But, and there's that, that's the risk. The danger of freedom is always there. But it's, mm-hmm. again, it's implied, it's inherent in this biblical ideal is that each person would be allowed to make their their economic choices, this idea of economic freedom. And this is very important because there are really only two main ways of governing economics in the world. There are a lot of different names, there are a lot of different kind of subsets, but two main ways. Um, and it's very important not to be confused by all the big terminology. There's a lot of you know um, fancy sounding details or whatever. The two basic systems are economic freedom or economic control. Mm. Okay. And economic control systems, um, the, the, the secret there or the main point is that they must always be implemented by force to some degree or other. Wow. And um, many times nowadays, especially, they're marketed as fair, they're marketed as caring, but in the end, they always hurt people. It's contrary to God's plan. Let me just quickly say the third one. The third pillar is economic justice. And okay. this is what it says at the very end. Give her the reward she has earned, Right. The idea that as she creates the business, she earns or she deserves the fruit of that business. That what Jesus put it this way, he said, the worker deserves his wages, right? The, the money that you earn is money that you, um, that you deserve. And that's justice, that, um, that direct relationship between her work, her business ventures, and her income. And, Forgive uh, me, uh, we've got a break coming up. Folks, this is a great show with uh, Ben 
equine of Christians Engaged. When we come back, if you've got a question, we're going to open up the phones for questions. The number is 719-619-2341. And uh, by the way, let me just say, I finished an article this morning that's going to be put on the Truth and Liberty website. The site is truthandliberty.net. If you're not a subscriber, uh, subscribe. Go to truthandliberty.net slash subscribe. All of the great content. You can watch this program over again. You can forward this to somebody and share this. But uh, christiansengaged.org is the website for Ben Quine. We've got a brief break. We're going to come back. A lot of great show. I truly believe this content that Ben is sharing that we want to get into your life can change your life forever. We're back after this. Don't go away. Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. Andrew has many conferences and seminars around the globe each year. For the latest information on Andrew's complete speaking schedule, visit our website at awmi.net slash events. You were created with a purpose, written in the heart of God. Long before you were born, He is calling you to find it. We want to help you experience His unconditional love, to be equipped and empowered to become a world changer. Welcome back to the program. Alex McFarland here. So honored that you're watching Truth and Liberty. So honored to have our guest, Ben Quine of Christians Engaged. The number, I'll give you two phone numbers. If you want to call in with a question, you, maybe you've got a question about economics or the political landscape uh, in which we find ourselves. The number for questions is 719-619-2341. But maybe you need prayer. And we've got a prayer staff that's here to encourage you. And from God, God's Word, we want to give you what the biblical solution is for the issues that you may be facing. The number for prayer is 719-635-1111. 719-635-1111. We'd love to help and encourage you. And then finally, let me just say this. Tell people about Truth and Liberty. We've got a lot going on. This is so exciting. I'm here at Karis this week, week teaching biblical worldview. And we've got biblical worldview one and two and apologetics, defending the Christian faith. And so God is doing so many great things and we want you to be a part of it and you can be. And so we're so honored that God has raised us all up at this time to proclaim truth and to defend truth. Well, my guest is somebody God is using in a great way. And I'm just, uh, Ben, I want to tell you as you're uh, conveying all of this content in my heart, I'm just amening you every step of the way. Uh, ChristiansEngaged.org. Now, I want to get back to your points, but um, what are the goals of Christians Engaged? And at, at your website, what will people find there? Absolutely. So, you know, we believe that America is um, 
such a gift to us from God. And we want to preserve that gift. We want to see America thrive. And uh, the church really is the answer. So we need to wake up as a church. We need to get involved. Uh, we need to learn the biblical worldview. We need to impact our communities, um, lovingly get involved, lovingly share God's truth with those around us. And there are just so many ways that every Christian can do that. People say, I wish I could get in, I wish I could get involved. I wish there was something I can do. And we're here to help you get plugged in. Whatever level, whatever skills and abilities the Lord has given you, come to ChristiansEngaged.org and we'll get you started. Uh, a great way to start is to take our Christians Engaged pledge. We ask okay. every Christian to just sign up, to commit to pray for our country at least once a week. We have weekly prayer videos and a prayer email that gives you a, a different topic every week you can pray about. Um, and then to get uh, voting reminders, we send out four texts and four emails before every election, so you'll never miss an election again. Oh, wow. And, that's, and then the third one is to get engaged, and that would be either taking classes or maybe um, starting to go to the local school board meetings and just be a presence there and listen and start asking questions or perhaps God's calling you to run for office. Just whatever the Lord is directing you to do, we're here to equip you to do that and to make an impact. Amen, amen. Um, you know, I wanna get back to economics, but um, I, I wanna ask you, I'm always intrigued to know people's story and how God brought them into the fray. You know, I was 21, Ben, and I was going to college and I started going to a, a Monday night Bible study uh, because I was uh, chasing a girl uh, named Angie, but uh, this is my wife. But uh, at the time when I accepted Christ and I was born again, uh, the, the message was, you know, put your faith in Jesus and your sins are forgiven. And you one day, decades from now, you go to heaven, not hell. And I'll be honest with you. I had no idea that being a Christian would, would involve worldview or cultural engagement. At my little tender age of 21, I just... I called out to Jesus to be saved. Now, it didn't take me long to realize that we were in a battle. And there was, because all, all my friends at college at that point were unsaved. I was going to a state university. And um, pretty quickly, I got baptized into the, the, what you and I might call the cultural battles. And I realized there was a whole lot more to being a Christian than I first assumed. And that's great. 30 years later, you know, here we are. But, but I'm curious, how did, you, how did you come to the Lord and how did God so equip you like he's done to be in the cultural battle? Well, I was really blessed to grow up into, grow up in an amazing Christian home. I had wonderful Christian parents, uh, David and Shirley Quine, who really were pioneers in the um, uh, homeschool movement in the, in the 80s. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so they were, they were educating um, their family. They were writing curriculum for uh, other families to use across the nation. And um, my father really was, I think, one of the first ones in the, terms of the modern uh, era to start writing about and speaking on biblical worldview. And he started writing curriculum to help homeschool kids really um, plug into what Scripture says and how to apply that to every, every area of our life. So that's kind of the, the context I grew up in. I was just blessed to accept Christ at an early age and um, really always loved reading Scripture and studying God's Word. Uh, the other kind of main uh, passion in my life was classical music. I just oh. loved piano music. And so my uh, education was primarily in piano performance. 
and I did some performing around the world and studied various places and went into uh, music education. And I thought that was going to be my life's work and my, my life's path. And then uh, several years ago, really talking to a lot of Christian friends and um, asking them about issues. And I, I realized that, you know, actually it was really was specific, specifically economics where we started. And I said, um, hey, where do you get your ideas on, on, on these questions, on these economic questions? And they told me and they asked, where do I get my ideas? I said, my ideas come from Scripture. Amen. And my Christian friends, my Christian friends said, that's impossible. The Bible doesn't talk about economics. Hmm. And, you know, it just broke my heart. And so I felt like kind of as a result of those conversations, uh, the Lord started telling, telling me and directing me that, you know, of course, they don't know, Ben, you, you need to tell them. And so um, that's when the Lord just put on my heart to start writing Bible studies, to start writing articles and really help people see that um, God's word really has the answers for life. That's what I like Amen. to say. God has the answers for life. doesn't matter what question. Um, of course, the Bible's not primarily about economics. It's about salvation. But since God is so loving and since he's so wise, everything that he says about economics is true. And everything Amen. he says about, you know, every issue, it's always true because it's God's wisdom. And so we can, we can learn, learn from that and glean. And uh, that's really the passion of my heart now to, to tell others and teach them, you know, about areas that... Um, God's word in its in his mercy does teach on, even though maybe we don't see it right away. You, you know, Ben, um, we do summer camps and for 25 years we've done summer camps. And in fact, we've got summer camps coming up this year. And every year uh, we're in front of more than a thousand teenagers. And I've watched young people, they light up when, when you tell them that the Word of God speaks to every sphere of life. And, right. and of course, there's the gospel and we're born again through a re relationship with Jesus, of course. But then if you're going into business or if you're going into education or if you're going into medicine or the sciences, certainly if you're going into government or leadership or the judiciary or politics, uh, and yes, it, and kids love this, but if you're going into the arts, uh, you know, art, literature, music, God, and uh, the good, the true, the beautiful, that which is real and points, uh, it elevates the human spirit to God. Kids, oh man, they get, they get on fire when they realize that in every endeavor of life and certainly marriage and family and the home, God has a way that we can do this and thrive in all the areas of life. And you and I, we know we call it biblical worldview. But this, you know, I often, I kind of think, why have, why has the church not trumpeted this in all of her, you know, opportunities, you know? Well, you're so right. You know, young people, I think the, the one of the greatest things is so inspiring for me is that young people want to make a difference, you know? Amen. And so when they see, you mean I can make a difference in the field that God's called me to, that just like that's that's why we light up. That's why it's so exciting, um, and it and to 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 be able to bring God's truth, to be able to bring light into an area, um, is is such a joy. I, I think that question you ask really is a puzzling one in many ways. Um, why why doesn't the church teach on these issues more? Um, I think one reason is that. A lot of people just don't know what the Bible says. We haven't been taught yeah. what Scripture says on this issue. 
Um, and it's also, you know, pastors have such a difficult job. I'm so grateful for the pastors that are boldly teaching and boldly preaching God's Word, but it is one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult job that you can have. And a lot of times, um, the job of preaching the gospel is controversial enough just by itself. And then if you start adding in, okay, now we're going to address these other hot-button hot issues, uh, that's a real challenge, I think, for a lot of leaders. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's important for believers to support the pastors and say, man, we're going to stand by you. You teach God's Word even on, you know, on, on every topic. Teach the whole counsel of God, like Paul said, and we are 100% we are behind you. Uh, it takes a lot of boldness. It, it really does. And, and let me just say to the churches out there, uh, you know, at least 20% of American churches are looking for a pastor right now. Um, listen to this, folks. If you happen to be on a, a pulpit search committee or whatever, I really, and this is another topic for another day, Ben, perhaps. I think a lot of churches uh, are looking for the wrong kind of pastor. I assure you, churches out there, and there are 345,000 churches in America. Can you imagine if the churches in America, and, you know, they estimate 63% of adults are born again. If the churches were, were calling and sitting under the tutelage of worldview-ish pastors, it would change our nation. Uh, look, folks, you don't want just a B-grade motivational speaker for your pastor. You want a man that will proclaim the Word of God, that will evangelize the lost, equip the saved, and empower your local flock to be culturally engaged world changers. Um, it has been that way. It can be that way again. And um, that's why Ben Quine and I are talking about biblical worldview tonight. Now, we've got a caller. And by the way, the number of folks, if you want to call in and engage in the conversation, it's 719-619-2341. We'd love to hear from you on tonight's edition of Truth and Liberty. But we're going to begin with um, Randall. Randall is a subscriber. Thank you for being a subscriber to Truth and Liberty. And welcome to the program, Randall. Thank you, Alex. Um, I'm in the practical government class, and uh, I'm excited to know you're at Karis this week. Um, yeah. It's it's awesome. Karis is the best Bible school in America, and uh, I had some. I was I was privileged to have some McFarland peanut butter for the first time today. So, well about that. God bless you, brother. And yes, we, we have a peanut butter company. But uh, thank you. And by the way, folks, the School of Practical Government, it's essentially a political science program here at Keras, but it's very practical. And Ben, like you mentioned earlier, we're encouraging people always to vote, influence others, and even be open to the idea of running for office. And we've got incredible, like uh, Bob McEwen and David Barton and just so many people that have come alongside, and we give God the glory for that. But um, what what is your question for Ben Quine, Randall? Well, my question is, does what does Ben think about uh, Dr. Thomas Sowell? And Alex, I know he's from your home state of North Carolina as far as born, and his economic uh, teachings. And do you think that anyone has actually I don't know if he's professed a faith or if he's if he knows Jesus. Yeah, that that I'm not sure. But um, what do you think about him in general, Ben? Well, 
I, he's extremely wise and uh, obviously extremely well-spoken, uh, just a genius in research and writing. Um, what, the thing that I'm most impressed with is how, even though he doesn't use scripture as a, um, as a foundation, it seems that his, so many of his views do align with scripture. Um, just, just for example, I, um, I love the, the verse in 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And so, of course, usually the emphasis when we hear this verse is talking about emphasis is on how we're supposed to be subject. And that's true. Um, but the other side of this passage is actually God is telling us the role that he's giving to government. And it says that God sends government to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And this is a very powerful, important role that God's given government, but it's also very limited, you know. And so I, I think that's a kind of a key principle that uh, Dr. Soule uses throughout his, his writings is this idea that government is, is at its best when it's really limited. And... Um, that's, that's a powerful biblical principle that, that he seems to be uh, promoting. Uh, similarly, this idea that throughout Scripture, we see that God says he hates favoritism. James talks about how, how wrong it is to be followers of Jesus Christ and to, to be partial or to show favoritism. And, of course, there are many, many, many ways that our government tries to do that today. Um, in, the, in the Old Testament law, we see examples again and again it says, don't show favoritism. Don't show partiality to a poor man, uh, because he is poor. Uh, don't side with the many against the few. You know, don't show partiality to the rich. It's, this is what these are God's teaching to His judges, and um, similarly, I, I think that's another principle that uh, Dr. Soul really utilizes very much in his writings. This idea of equality under the law, impartiality, and really treating everyone. Um, as individuals treat them equally before the law. So I, I really, really, really appreciate his insight and the fact that he uses so many biblical principles. Uh, and I don't know if, whether he gets them from Scripture or if he just gets them because they're true. They are true mm. in the world. Just, you know, God's Word teaches truth. Um, yeah. But I do hope and pray that he knows the Lord. Amen. Um, you know, speaking of that, and, and agree, I agree, I'm, I'm a fan of Thomas Sowell as well. Do you have a, a resource you'd recommend, Ben, to, to educate people on economics and, and uh, government too. You know, what, not only is what is a biblical view of government, but what did America's founders intend for the U.S. government? Right, well, there's so many resources. I, I'd love to recommend our Christians Engaged classes. If you go to yeah. christiansengaged.org slash classes, uh, we've got a lot of uh, wonderful, wonderful video courses. Our signature course is called the on-ramp. And that really gives the introduction to, you know, how do we get involved in government? Is that something Christians should be concerned with at all? You know, what about separation of church and state? Really answering some basic questions. What is a platform? What is a primary? Uh, how do we apply biblical ideas to government? How do we get involved? So the on-ramp course is just an incredible place to start. Uh, if you're looking for biblical teaching on specific issues, we've got a class on biblical justice, a class on biblical leadership. And this course we're talking about today, biblical economics. So, mm. yeah, I recommend the Christian Engage classes. Um, I love, as you mentioned, resources by David Barton. He's just another one of my heroes, and yeah. um, really, you know, I've learned so much from him and, right. um, and many others. 
Indeed, indeed. And uh, where can people find the economics course? Uh, also on, uh, on, on ChristiansEngaged.org, yes. Christians right there. Amen. Uh, Lori from Colorado. Lori, thanks for holding. A subscriber to Truth and Liberty and a graduate of Karis. Uh, we commend you on those, both of those fronts. Lori, thanks for holding. Welcome to our conversation with Ben Quine. Thank you so much, Alex and Ben. I truly appreciate what you've been sharing so far. This is definitely a show I'm going to have to uh, re-listen to many times. Uh, my question is in regards to the homeless quote-unquote crisis that is seems to be in every city and town, and what would how would you succinctly put a biblical Christian response to this? Um, I have my verses that I go to, but I would love to hear your uh, explanation of it in a very uh, directed and pointed uh, manner. Thank you so much, Lori. That's first of all, that's not an easy question. It's not an easy solution. Um, homelessness has many um, many causes. Now, if we're talking about just poverty in general, um, the there's some basic principles that are that if we get those right, it's going it's going to minimize poverty. Um, God said in the Old Testament when He gave His people the law, He said, "If you follow these commands, there won't be any poor people among you." And then in the next sentence, he says, but when the poor people are there, here's how you need to treat them, because he knew they weren't going to follow his commands. So, you know, if we did, if we really did what God says, there wouldn't be poverty, but we're, we're sinful. We have sin all governments are, you know, made up of sinful people. So we're not talking about total elimination of poverty, but this is the best way is following God's principles. The one of the first keys is this idea of, of work. You know, I love... Um, the, there's a passage towards the end of Ephesians, Ephesians 4:28, uh, I believe, and Paul is talking um, to the Ephesians, and he says, "He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something mm -hmm. useful with his own hands, so he'd have something to share with those in need." Yeah, and that's that's like in a nutshell, in one sentence, that's like Paul's Gettysburg Address for economics, right there in one sentence. So. The first point is we have to have a, a moral transformation. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. If As long as our culture is turning away from God, as long as our hearts are intent on disobeying him, it's never going to work. Whoever's been stealing must steal no longer. That change doesn't come from law. It doesn't come from, you know, fear of punishment. Those are good things. God wants us to have good laws. But the only way to really turn is to be transformed by new birth. We need revival. We need the Holy Spirit to come and change our hearts. That's first. Look what it says next. Um, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. And work is a, such a, a, a constant theme of scripture. God put Adam in the garden, commanded him to work and take care of the garden, even before the fall. Like before there was sin, we were commanded to work. Um, Paul said, wherever I go, I give you this message. He who um, uh, if a man shall not work, let him not, not eat, right? Neither it's, shall we, yeah. It's, this is a basic command of Scripture, and he says it again here. We must work, and in order that he may have something. So there's that profit again, that biblical connection between work and earning your wages and that you deserve the wages that you earn either through your business or through your, through your labor, that he may have something to share with those in need. 
And that, again, there's private property. And then we haven't really talked about this yet, but um, biblically, economics looks so much like the free market system. Because yes. we've talked yes. about free, we've talked about private property, we've talked about freedom of, of, of choice, we've talked about freedom of, we haven't talked about freedom of markets, but that's built in there too, freedom of businesses, um, and then economic justice. But the missing element in the free market system, the pure free market system, is this idea of heart change. Because mm -hmm. Jesus talked again and again, it's always about the heart. And our hearts, unfortunately, as sinful hearts, are corrupt, and we love money, and we love power, and we just want to take for us. That's what our hearts normally want. And we have to be transformed by the gospel so that we would then share with those in need, this idea of voluntary sharing. Now, nowadays, it's very popular to have this idea that the government should do that for us. But, but that's not biblical charity. It's not biblical. It's not consistent with biblical teaching because uh, in 2 Corinthians, it says um, that God loves a cheerful giver, that our giving should be um, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Mm -hmm. So I hate to break this to you, but your contributions to the United States Treasury um, through the IRS are under compulsion. And if you just want to test that out, you can try not paying your taxes and you will find that they are absolutely required. You don't have a choice. Um, the, the government makes you pay that. Uh, ben, Jesus you're so right about that. I can promise you I have never enjoyed once writing a check to the IRS. And no. around about April 15 every year I have to do it. And it is absolutely right. compulsory. And regarding tax day, I am not a cheerful giver. But now Jesus says that government has a right to do that. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. So government has a right to tax. Sure. Yeah. But... As the government takes more and more and more, again, going past that limited role that God established for government, then it becomes a burden on the people, right? Yeah. And it never, no matter how much or what, what good intentions, it never qualifies as biblical charity because, again, it's compulsion. It's not individual from the heart, and especially because God wants it to, charity to be individual to individual or, you know, for, to a ministry uh, that would be reaching out to, to, to individuals in need. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that answers the question, but those are the steps, biblically speaking, um, that if we applied those, we would see absolute transformation uh, in the culture and especially in terms of poverty. And, and Lori, let me say this. Um, I, I really do think that what the government, the welfare state and look, I, I've talked to people that were deep in, in the bowels of leftist ideology and they came out of it. And, and I've had professors and some ministers that were once very, very far left. They said they knew that people would get trapped into this welfare system. The government doles out barely enough for people to subsist and they're, they're caught in the uh, entitlements and the welfare and the food stamps and they can't get out. And many on the left know this. So we understand that um, the, the welfare state and the, the, the machine that subsidizes things like uh, not working and subsidizes illegitimacy and subsidizes homelessness, um, this is not godly. Uh, I, I do want to say this, uh, Ben and, and Lori, it's interesting. I was interviewed a couple of years ago by Gannett Newspapers. And 
you know, churches, thank God, churches engage in charity. Many churches have homeless shelters, soup kitchens, clothes closets, orphanages, things like that. Now, whenever I speak at secular universities, many um, atheists and professors, they'll say, well, churches should not have tax-free status. I was very surprised. This um, reporter from Gannett Newspapers said that he was glad churches had tax-free status. And I said, really? He said, yeah, because the churches do, and this guy was not a Christian, but he, he acknowledged churches do $100 trillion a year in charity and benevolent work, feeding hungry people, uh, you know, school supplies. And this, this reporter said to me, he said, if the churches weren't there, Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, if the churches weren't there with their soup kitchens and all, all of that, there's no way the U.S. government could step in and fill the gap created by the trillion dollars a year of benevolent work that America's Christians do. So um, it's a blessing that Christians and churches, they accrue the financial resources to actually give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. It's a blessing, isn't it, Ben? That's right. And that's what exactly what we're called to do. You know, if you look at most of the hospitals, most of the charitable organizations, they have been started by Christians. That's exactly what we're called to do. And God never gives that charge of caring for the poor to the government. Never in Scripture is that, is that mentioned, is it hinted at. But over and over again, God says, true religion undefiled is to look after widows and orphans, to visit them in their need. And he's talking to individuals. He's talking to Christians. And we can, we can create ministries. We can go to that ourselves. But that's our calling as individuals, not really the government. This is Truth and Liberty. And thank you, Lori. We've got more to come. We've got more than a dozen online questions. The number is 719-619-2341. I'm Alex McFarland. Our very special guest is Ben Quine of Christians Engaged. Stay tuned, folks. Another big segment, your calls and more when Truth and Liberty returns. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. Are you in ministry and want to connect with other like-minded ministers? Andrew Womack founded the Association of Related Ministries International, or ARMY, to serve, equip, and empower you for success in your ministry through relationships, community, and resources. But just being a part of this, uh, being filled with the Word of God and with ARMY, fellowshipping, knowing that I have other ministers with me, it is awesome. We have met such precious people through ARMY. Uh, there's people I know I can call when I'm in a jam. Ministers have a safe place to come. We can unify and unite for the kingdom. As an ARMY member, some of the benefits you'll enjoy are Bible teaching correspondence courses, regional advocates for personal support and ministry, regional events for networking, one-on-one -on -one ministry and encouragement, our monthly newsletter, and more. You don't have to do ministry alone. Join this growing network of dynamic and elite ministers from across the U.S. and around the world today. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. We'll continue our conversation with our guest, Ben 
equine of Christians engaged in just a moment. Hey, let me tell you about some exciting things coming up. And maybe last night you saw the live stream of Andrew Womack and Richard Harris at the Susan B. Anthony pro-life event in Texas last night. Go back and watch that again. But January 27th, for those of you that are in Virginia and on the East Coast, you have a chance live, two of the most powerful Christian leaders of our time, Andrew Womack and also Harvard attorney, pastor, cultural commentator, Bishop E.W. Jackson. This is the stand event. This is January 27, 2024. Uh, this is in Chesapeake, Virginia. Now, the website is standamerica.us. Now, it is free. It's a free event, but you do need to register. And let me just tell you, folks, and I've known both of these dear brothers for a lot of years, known each one of them for roughly a decade. Uh, you might have heard some preaching. You might have heard some speakers, but two of the most anointed, most powerful communicators that you will ever be privileged to hear in one night, January 27, Chesapeake, Virginia, the Stand Foundation, this event, go to standamerica.us, Andrew Womack, Bishop E.W. Jackson, live in person. Uh, I'd go if I were you. Now, also, Flashpoint Live 2024. This is February 8th and 9th at Karis Bible College. Uh, listen, if you ever come to Karis and visit this campus, it, in my opinion, it really is the most exciting Christian university anywhere. And you can go to awmi.net slash events. That stands for Andrew Womack Ministries International, awmi.net slash events, the Flashpoint event, February 8th and 9th. And then also, let me uh, give a little plug for some of what I've got going on. My own website is alexmcfarland.com. Oh my goodness, what a, a spring God has put in front of us. In addition to teaching at Karis, and I'm doing biblical worldview this week and the next, and then in February doing apologetics, that's Christian uh, defending the, the Christian faith. But I'm going to be in Florida, February 9th through 11. I'm going to be in Indiana doing a men's conference. We've got in Plainview, Texas, in the month of March, one of our Truth for a New Generation conferences. And and we've done 50 of these around the country, but go to my website, alexmcfarland.com. But one thing, summer's coming up, and I know with snow all over America, you might not be thinking about summer, but listen to this, July 12th through 14th, July 12th through 14th, I'm going to be at the Cove, which is the Billy Graham Training Center in Western North Carolina. I'm so honored. This is my 18th consecutive summer to be there. And I'll be teaching 1 John, uh, the believer's identity in Christ. What does it mean to be a believer? And what is your identity, your authority in Jesus Christ? Now, the website is thecove.org, T-H-E-C-O-V-E, thecove.org. And just put my name in the space bar, and we would love for you to be there. There's always people from all 50 states and internationally. We'll drill down deeply into the Word of God. We'll have great fellowship. We'll pray together. You'll eat some five-star chef cooking. The food is amazing. But let me tell you about the cove. Billy Graham and his wife, Ruth, they prayer walked over those grounds before they built this conference center. And all I can say is you will tangibly, tangibly experience the presence of God at the Billy Graham Center. I'd love to meet you, and I'd love to see you there July 12th through 14th. Well, the good news is, even in these turbulent times, 
uh, you can be used by God to make a difference. And somebody God is using in a mighty way. Uh, I've just got immeasurable respect for this brother, Ben Quine of Christians Engaged, uh, org. And Ben, uh, we're going to resume calls and questions. And I want to talk a little bit about our government and sadly how it seems like so many are enamored with socialism. But I'm going to throw a question and this is unscripted. You know, we're just going where the spirit leads. How concerned are you about an America with a 34 trillion dollar national debt? I'm, I'm extremely concerned about it. This is not um, uh, biblical wisdom. This is not what God calls us to do as, as a country or as individuals. Um, the Lord talks a lot about how the borrower is a slave to the lender, right? And so this is, um, this is essentially our country putting our children and grandchildren in, in economic slavery. Um, mm. It's unsustainable. Um, it's not caring. It's selfish. Um, and, um, and the tragedy really is that in, in many ways, there's, there's, if you look at the, the actual expenditures, there's so much waste in terms of what our government is doing and spending. Um, m- much of it could be eliminated. And um, again, if we went back to that biblical principle of the, the limited role of government, and, and I think that the founders had that in mind as well. If you look at the Constitution, it says that... Um, you know, it's enumerating the specific rights and the specific uh, responsibilities that Congress may uh, spend money on. And they said that this is, it has to meet one of these, you know, uh, one of these elements. And if it doesn't, Congress is not authorized to do that. And whatever rights aren't specifically enumerated to the federal government, those are reserved to the states. So that's the idea that our founders had as well, that the government was supposed to be limited, that it was supposed to do very specific things and only specific jobs. And tragically, we've thrown that out many years ago, and now government just spends money on whatever they want. Um, And I think it's, again, linked to this idea of control, that as the government puts money, especially the federal government, um, puts money towards projects, uh, usually that comes with um, a large degree of control over those, again, whether that's education or whatever area. Um, And so, uh, yeah, the the national debt is a very serious issue, and... um, we, we should be looking for leaders that will be bold enough to reduce that spending, to rein it in. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, you know, I, I read articles, Ben, about how, like, the complete GDP, all of the profit that our country makes, if we started, like, even right now trying to pay down the national debt, it would take, I don't know, hundreds of years. People have done right. different right. models. But I, I've got to ask you, because I am gravely concerned I mean, I don't even understand economics and the national debt deeply troubles me because I know in our household, you know, we couldn't live that way. You know, Um, is it even is the national debt even fixable, Ben? Uh, Yes, it's very fixable, but it's a problem that's been created over a long time. And um, it's going to take either a long time or some drastic steps to fix it, to reverse it. And um, the danger, of course, the difficulty is that um, even suggesting that it should be fixed, that, you know, um, that we have to reduce spending in a certain area, that's controversial. And, you know, uh, it's very easy to say we think those other projects should be cut, but not my projects. I I don't want you to take the money that's coming to me, you know. Mm -hmm. So every person is very happy with cutting the other person's spending. And um, 
and, and that unfortunately that selfishness is how we got here. Um, and um, you know, there's a famous quote that says democracy can only survive as long as um, or until people realize they can vote themselves money, right? Mm. And that, that that is the one of the death knells for uh, uh, freedom in a culture. And um, we're, we're right on the threshold, unfortunately. Let me ask you this. Uh, in, in what ways is socialism different than um, our principled representative republic? Yes. Uh, is America uh, and are America and Marxism even compatible? Uh, I would say they're not compatible. And um, more than that, I would say that that Marxism and biblical Christianity are utterly incompatible. Um, if you if you look at, um, of course, there are many different definitions. I, I happen to like this one by um, uh, Merriam-Webster's dictionary. It says that socialism is a system of society or group living in which there is no private property, a system or condition of society in which means of production are owned and controlled by the state. Hmm. And you know, that's, I guess you could say that's fancy language. It basically just says that the three biblical principles we talked about, private property, economic freedom, and economic justice, they're all out the window. Mm. That, that Marxism stands in opposition to private property, uh, which we saw as a biblical principle. It stands in opposition to this idea of entrepreneurship or individuals creating their own businesses, individuals having the freedom to choose um, what, what, what jobs to take and how, what problems. Uh, what products to create. Um, instead, the government owns all, all businesses. Uh, the government mm -hmm. makes the decisions for the individuals. The government handles all charity. Again, this is incompatible with biblical idea that charity is voluntary and personal and comes as a result of heart change through the spirit. And, and Marxism says, no, the state, we will redistribute the wealth. We will ensure equal outcomes. Um, and you know, Jesus, there was an amazing story when, when someone came to Jesus and they said, um, Lord, I want you to um, make my brother divide the inheritance equally with me. And that's a perfect opportunity for Jesus to have implemented this kind of modern idea of equity, this idea that everyone should have the same, you know, outcomes or the same um, monetary resources. And Jesus didn't do it. Mm. He said, he said, you know, that's that's not what I'm going to do. And in fact, I'm going to he taught a parable of warning. He said, watch out, be on guard against covetousness. And I think that's the danger for us today is that, you know, it's 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 easy to look at the promises of socialism, the promises of communism. Oh, it's it's beautiful. Um, everyone has everything in common. Oh, it's just like it's actually like the early church, you know, mm. uh, where they where they were sharing everything. And. You just took, just look at it one level deeper, and you'll see that even Peter said to Ananias and Sapphira, he said, "When you know, before you gave that property to us, before you we sold that property and it gave was the yours money, to keep. It was yours. You were not forced to give it. And that's the opposite. Again, when when the government comes in and says you cannot own this, we own this, you must give that. That's that's called compulsion. And God says that's not gift. That's not giving. That's not charity. Sure." Sure. And it, well, it brings destruction. I mean, we, it's near 100 million people have been murdered by com communists and socialist rule over the last century alone, and, mm -hmm. and, and millions and millions in oppression and slavery. Um, this is not a healthy system. It's not a biblical system, even though it comes 
it comes towards us and says that it's loving and caring and mm. don't you want to take care of each other, then you should, we should be socialists. But I'm afraid to say it's a biblical heresy and a lie. Yeah. You, you know what? So um, I think part of the genius of what the founders did in creating a Judeo-Christian representative republic, and yes, it was a free market economy, uh, but I, I often tell young people this, it was principled capitalism. Mm -hmm. But I, I think the founders really, in a, in a brilliant way, they understood human nature. That, yes. that we have a propensity to sin and greed and dishonesty. And um, look, there's never been, never, never been a socialist system, uh, whether, whether it be the, the utopian communes of the hippie era or whether it you know, be uh, the USSR or North Korea, there's never been a socialist Marxist communist system that was fair and that was just, uh, that was beneficial. It, it always fails, and I think a part of it is, this is what I would love to say to some of these, you know, utopian do-gooders like AOC or Ber Bernie Sanders, that, look, there's always going to be some boss that elevates themselves, abuses uh, other people. It, it's just, um, it's never worked, never will. That's right, and that's why the founders enshrined in the, in the Declaration, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So just even those three, that's incompatible with this idea that the government is going to make these decisions for us and control control those decisions. Um, similarly, the divisions, you know, um, the federalism dividing government by layers, the separation of powers dividing government vertically, uh, these are all created with the knowledge that the heart is sinful and desperately wicked and that power corrupts. And so we need to, the founders instilled systems that were designed to keep power from centralizing in the hands of either the federal government or particularly in the hands of an individual who could use that power uh, for ultimate corruption. Ben, we have an online question. Why does capitalism have a bad reputation? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Uh, well, first of all, uh, it's important to remember that the word capitalism itself was actually created um, by the enemies of capitalism. Uh, so I much prefer, uh, even though the most, capitalism is certainly the most common word that's used today, but I much prefer to use the words free market or free enterprise system. Um, and I think that the answer to that question, there are many, many, many reasons, but one I'd like to focus on is that um, the media and the uh, education system in general um, are promoting um, so more or less socialist ideas. And that, again, the socialist idea um, and the biblical worldview or the socialist idea and the free market, they're incompatible. And so uh, it's a derogatory term created to put down freedom and um, designed to, to make us question whether this is the right thing or not. And, I, you know, we're, as Christians, we are open. We, re we are ready to answer any question, take on any question, because, sure. again, God's Word has the answer. Um, and the, the critique of the free market system, again, is that um, it's, it's greedy and it's selfish. And um, I, I would just say that that's not the system. That's the human heart, right? And like you just pointed out, Alex, whether you have a socialist leader that leader is going to be selfish and greedy, and if he has ultimate power, most likely he's going to take, and it's always happened, that they've taken everything for themselves. So 
getting a different system doesn't solve the heart. That, that's why we need Christ. Uh, amen. And, and, you know, how do you, how do you help people understand, look, a free market economy is such a wonderful thing because not only do people get to pursue their interests and strengths, and yes, uh, people get jobs, food is put on the table, um, a free market economy, things are created. But um, I mentioned earlier Rodney Stark, who I just uh, loved. He, he wrote extensively on how the American free market economy uh, was always in the lead on innovation. Yes. My goodness, penicillin, airplanes, automobiles, indoor air conditioning. A lot of people don't know in my home state of North Carolina, the indoor air conditioning that the world over, it really was developed by a man in Thomasville, North Carolina, that, that uh, he was an entrepreneur and he built an air conditioning company. Now this technology is used around the world, but out of a, a free market economy, um, the, the, the beneficial inventions that we all take for granted, look, it didn't come out That's of right. communist, you know, government-controlled economies. It came out of a free economy. So here's my question. Forgive that long runway. But I was speaking at a college about it uh, last fall, and uh, Ford Motor Company had made, I forget, in the third quarter of 23, they made, you know, many millions of profit. And this girl raised her hand. This was a Christian university that I was speaking. She said, um, Ford Motor Company made, you know, several billion dollars. That's obscene. Profit is obscene. Mm -hmm. and, and I said, well, look, you know, um, the investors put their money at risk. Uh, they made a product. They sold a product, automobiles, and they made a profit. But I said, do you realize Ford employee em employees like, you know, half a million people and families had jobs. Groceries were bought. Kids were put through college. Why is profit? Profit is not necessarily obscene. How do you help people get their mind around this? Absolutely. So God's word clearly teaches that our hearts are corrupt. And like I just said, the capitalist system or the free market, that doesn't have power to change our hearts. Only the gospel can do that. But what the free market system does that's really incredible is that it actually encourages businesses that are run well to create products that people want, create products that people need. So if Ford Motor Company is being run well, the first thing they're going to ask is, what do our customers need? What do our customers want? And then if they're thinking about their customers and they create products that their customers want, that's not selfish. That's actually loving. It's actually providing, it's thinking of your neighbor and helping them. It's really, in an economic sense, one application of the golden rule. It's doing for others what you would like. What I would like is someone to create for me this product. And when the business does that, people love it. And when people create a good product at a reasonable price, people are thrilled to pay money for that product. And when that happens on a grand scale, that's when you have these so-called obscene profits. And so, of course, there are, there are tragic examples of theft and deception, I'm not talking about those, but when honest businesses create honest products and sell them at a fair price and create huge profits, that's a sign that they're actually loving their neighbor, creating products that people want that then they choose to buy. 
And that's how this, that's how the free market is supposed to work. It's really, mm. really, really a beautiful thing when it's yes. done well. Again, not talking about the corruption. I'm not talking about lying or cheating or stealing to get a profit. But when it's done with the biblical principles of creating honest products, selling them at honest product at prices, oh, that's such a win for the workers. It's such a win for the business, and it's a win for the consumers. It's a win for the culture. Uh, we've got an online question here. Uh, will we ever see cash disappear? Mm. And, and let me add, what are yeah. the implications of that? I mean, what, what do you think about cryptocurrency and the increasingly cashless uh, economic There realm? is a powerful, powerful movement uh, towards cashless society. I am um, very much against that personally, um, just because I believe that gives the government um, again, more and more control. And, um, you know, you can see examples of um, social credit scores, for instance, in, in places like China, when mm -hmm. the government says, all right, if you don't meet our criteria in this social area, or, you know, if you have too much criticism of the government or something like that, say things we don't like, then we're going to restrict your freedom over in this area. And my concern would be, uh, I believe it's, again, held by the founders as well, at that giving the government that kind of control over um, monetary uh, transactions would be extremely dangerous um, because um, the, the, the power to, we've seen it, we've seen it even in, in places like Canada just several years ago, there, was, there were protests and the government said, Very, okay, we're gonna take your resources, we're gonna freeze they, your funds. They froze and bank accounts, didn't they? They, they did. And, you know, um, I think that's too great a risk for, for evil, honestly. And so I'm, again, very much against the cashless, cashless model. Mm -hmm. uh, however, cryptocurrency, I know there are a lot of different variations on these things. If someone, I would say, if someone wants to be innovative and create this thing and, again, make it a product that people can choose to use or not, then I think that's wonderful as people want to get into it. Um, you know, you have to understand that it's a great risk if you do were to make that second, that kind of investment. I'm certainly not recommending it, but uh, you know, I think they have the freedom to do that. Uh, um, I really recommend everyone check out Kevin Freeman's books. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Kevin. He's written an amazing book called Pirate Money and mm -hmm. talking about um, finances and and especially the monetary policy, cryptocurrency, and and how we can actually. Um, really return to uh, gold and other uh, resources to give stability and how that's mm -hmm. a much, much better solution uh, to the problem than cashless society. You know, I was going to ask you that. Do you advise Christians to um, some of their, their money to have gold and silver and, you know, uh, not well, have everything tied up either online or in banks? It's to the extent possible, it's very important to not be um, solely focused in this in this paper money system. You know, um, the, in the in the biblical times, money was always tied to a, a limited resource like gold or silver, um, mm -hmm. and that helped to give stability to the currency. Um, excuse me. Mm -hmm. We have a very real danger because we're, we're untethered from any kind of system like that. And the government is now authorized, given themselves authority to just print money at their own whim. And, you know, the law, basic law, very, very basic law of supply and demand teaches that as the supply increases, then the value is going to decrease. And so as government prints more and more and more money, that money becomes less and less value, valuable. So 
um, certainly would recommend not being only in the cash money um, in terms of your investments. That would be very dangerous. Um, we may have time for one more call. We're going to go to Missouri. Frank in Missouri, thanks for holding, and welcome to Truth and Liberty, Frank. Hey, you caught me with something in my mouth. <laughs> oh, okay. A B12. Anyway. Yeah, don't choke. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, oh, I just wanted to ask a simple question, but you know me a little bit. But anyhow, you know, Paul's uh, defending Second Corinthians uh, or, or his defense of his apostleship, really. The simple question, Alec, is what did the apostle Paul mean by I robbed other churches in order to be able to minister to you. Mm. Uh, yeah, this is Second Corinthians eleven uh, a, and and you're right. Uh, you know, Paul several times would talk about the fact that you know I I preached the gospel blamelessly. He was an apostle. You know, uh, let me let me say what it doesn't mean, and then I'll, I'll throw it to Ben. Obviously, the Apostle Paul was not advocating stealing. Uh, but in other words, he persuaded other Christians to donate, to invest. Now, the church at Corinth had a lot of issues, as, as we know. But I think that, um, look in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 11. He said, and when I was present with you and lacked, I was chargeable to no man. Uh, in other words, he didn't, he didn't bum off of anybody but in fact, he invested in the lives of people. People were able to invest in the lives of others. And he went out and raised money to do uh, missions work. So I think what he's trying to say is, look, I've, I've, I've invested in you. So you need to do what I'm telling you to do. And he, he was talking about moral issues, spiritual issues. But do you have a comment on that passage, uh, Ben? Yeah. Right. I don't. I don't think that this isn't Paul talking about uh, about stealing or or robbing in that sense. It's. It's. I think this is much more uh, literary um, idea that he's saying. You know, um, I. I didn't. He wanted to 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 preach um, without accepting anything, and he wanted to just be. You know, he wished he could could serve by only. Um, uh, doing his tent making and so on. But, but he's saying, you know, I, I did take some money from them and, and I did it so that I could serve you. I didn't take money from you guys, but I took money from them. Uh, so to me, this is just really just a, a literary expression um, saying that he took, he took money, took donations from them and he's grateful for that. Yeah. Uh, verse nine, he says, I kept myself from being burdensome to you. In other words, it's almost like Paul is saying, look, I have the right, Corinthians, to ask you to do some things because I've invested in you. I've, I've raised money on your behalf. I've worked. I've not been a burden to anybody. And right. so, you know, in a way, um, that's a good lesson for us to earn the right to be heard. Uh, now, I, I want to say just in the strongest possible terms, Ben Quine of Christians Engage, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation tonight. And I know based on the correspondence we're, we're getting here that online and uh, by phone, you are a blessing to people. We've only got a couple of minutes, but uh, again, I want to thank you. 
Tell us about Christians Engaged, the pledge, the Christians Engaged pledge, and then um, how, you know, people can do the on-ramp and get ramped up with biblical worldview and make a difference. Well, thank you, Alex. It's really been an honor for me to be with you today. So thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I love your insight and wisdom and your passion for the biblical worldview. Just inspires me for sure. Um, yeah, Christians Engaged, we are connecting with believers all across the country. We're equipping them uh, to develop habits of prayer, voting, and getting engaged with the community. So everyone needs to be praying for our country. It's the most important thing we can do. We are commanded, you know, Paul said, pray for all your leaders, pray for governors and emperors, pray for all who are in authority so that we might live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness, right? And mm -hmm. Proverbs says that if when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, when the wicked rule, the people groan. So we need to pray for godly leaders. We need to pray for revival. And we're going to help you do that. So if you sign up at Christian Engage, take our pledge. You'll get prayer reminders every week. You'll also get voting reminders that you can remember to vote in every election and really make an impact by selecting godly leaders. And then we've got incredible classes, books, Bible studies, resources on our website. We would just love to help equip believers uh, wherever you are. If you've ever, never been involved in politics or if you're just opening your eyes to this idea of, wow, there's a biblical worldview. I wonder what the Bible says about these issues. It's, they've got great places for you to start. Go to ChristiansEngage.org and check out our classes too. Well, Godspeed, my brother. I appreciate you being on tonight and appreciate all that you're doing. This really is encouraging. And viewers, I appreciate you watching. And look, think about this, folks. Just like Mordecai said to Esther, who knows, you've been put in the kingdom for just such a time as this. There's a little bit of poetry. It says, one life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so look, folks, why would you want to be on the sideline just passively watching the world go by? You can take a stand for Christ. You can do things that count for eternity. Remember 1 Corinthians 15, 58, your labor in the, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So be bold, stand strong, make a difference. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.